Welcome to your Monday edition of Strip Sports Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. This is your favorite daily sports podcast on Star Tribune, startribune.com. A lot to get to today with the Super Bowl. In fact, we have two guests, Jim Suhan, Star Tribune columnist, Tom Lineman, former St. John's quarterback, both here to talk about the Super Bowl. So we're going to hop right into both of those discussions right off the bat because Usually we do a what did I miss segment at the beginning here. Well, probably the only thing you missed possibly this weekend was a lot of the breakdown of the Super Bowl, and we've got that for you right now. Well, my first guest here today on Strip Sports Daily Delivery, Star Tribune columnist Jim Suhan. Nice enough to check in with us this morning. Jim, how are you doing? I'm all right. I wish I had watched a better football game last night, but, you know, we get what we get. I think a lot of us do. I think, you know, I was 180 degrees wrong on this game. I thought Kansas City was going to win, and I thought it might be comfortable. But, boy, they Tampa Bay played almost the perfect game. Yeah, I thought I picked the Chiefs just because I have so much faith in Mahomes to, to find a way. Uh, but so many things went wrong for them. Uh, you know, the offensive line was much worse than I expected. I expected it to be not very good, but I expected it to be manageable. But it was really bad. Uh, the Bucks played really well the Bucks learned a lot from their previous game you know played over the top and forced uh forced the I thought really the best analysis of the game I saw late last night was from Steve Young he was saying that you know the Chiefs want to hit the home run and they have hit the home run and they hit the home run frequently last time they played against the Bucks and they're just so used to doing that no matter how badly things are going they're going to come with a 50-yard player a long touchdown it's going to change the game and Steve Young said you know what was there for them were screen passes, uh, you know, the run pass option, running the ball. And he said if they would have been willing to put together 10 and 12 play drives and then, you know, convert those into touchdowns, they could have won that game, but they really didn't want to do that. They wanted to make the big play, and the Bucks, and the Bucks were not going to let that happen. Yeah, and once things started going poorly and you can't do the thing you're used to doing, you start to panic, and then the offensive line, you're right, that was – it's been held together by string, you know, with the, the tackles both being out. But our old friend Mike Remmers looked pretty helpless uh, in, in a lot of those cases. And it was just, you know, it, it does underscore that it, it's hard to win without having that line in place or at least a functional offensive line. Well, and that's the interesting thing about offensive line plays. You, you know, they're, they're, the Hall of Fame is filled with offensive linemen who never won a Super Bowl. You know, having a great offensive lineman doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything. But you just can't have bad offensive linemen. You know, you need to have solid offensive linemen who play well together. Maybe have one outstanding guy who you can just say, okay, you're just going to take your guy and we're not going to have to double on you. We're not going to have to help you out at all. But, you know, I mean, you look at the Patriots offensive lines. They always had good offensive lines. They didn't have – they didn't have anybody going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, but but you just can't have bad players. You can't – and they had really bad players. And, and the other thing is I really think they – you know, I think their confidence – in Mahomes and just kind of invent, inventing things uh, led them to not go with max protection, not keeping extra people in. And so what they had was, you know, the Bucks were committing four defensive backs to Kelsey and Hill. Yep. Uh, that means that the other three offensive skill position players are going to be single covered and the chiefs are used to winning those battles. But one of those guys is Michael Hardman, who doesn't even look at the football when he's running routes. <laughs> uh, and another was, you know, the running back, Edwards Hilaire, who they didn't really use in the passing game at all. So they, you know, they really did not adapt well to what the Bucks were doing to them. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And you, for your Monday column in uh, this morning's uh, Star Tribune, startribune.com, you wrote mostly about the quarterbacks and how, you know, this, it did feel going in like a legacy game uh, in, in both directions. And if Mahomes could have won this game with, with Kansas City, got his back-to-back rings like Brady did 16, 17 years ago, you know, nudged the battle closer to 6-2, then, then all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, you know, Mahomes might catch him even, even as things get harder down the road. But now Brady has seven Super Bowls, including just, you know, jumping teams and winning one right away, which doesn't seem to happen very often, um, you know, when you have these late quarterback switches that the guy gets a ring out of it. Um, does this I, I, I agree with a lot of what you wrote in particular, like I've never I've had a hard time kind of getting into the Tom Brady greatest of all time argument because it, it, it does just kind of seem to me like there are better pure passers. There are better there are quarterbacks I would rather have at any given moment, but it is hard to argue with what he has done and especially what he did in this game. Yeah, I was a Staubach guy growing up and a Johnny Unitas guy growing up. And then I was, and then, you know, it was hard to ignore Terry Bradshaw, even though he played on just superior teams. And I was a Montana guy for a while. And, you know, but Brady just wears you down. I mean, I really thought, you know, however many years ago, Peyton Manning was the better quarterback. And it doesn't matter because Brady just, defeats every argument by continuing to win and continue to put up records. Uh, and the thing about Brady is he's won with a, he's won with basically defensive teams, right? Mm-hmm. Where he just had to manage the game. He's won breaking records. Uh, you give him Randy Moss. He has the greatest quarterback season of all time, although they didn't win the Super Bowl that year. Um, you know, he has done it at every age. He did it as a kind of a young guy. who wasn't even that much of a passer. Uh, he developed into a great passer. Now he's doing it at a ridiculously advanced age when, as you said, and he's doing it changing teams. I mean, just people just don't do these things. And, you know, you look back and people like uh, Montana and, and Terry Bradshaw, they played on dynasty teams at a time when you could keep your dynasty together. You weren't going to lose players in free agency. You could have the same people coming back every year to win it again. And they won four. And here's Brady just winning it any way he wants, anytime he wants. It's just, you can't, there's no argument to be made against him, even though I would love to argue against him. Yeah. It's, you know, his, it, maybe it's the subtle plays. It's, you know, he's got, still got plenty of arm. He showed that last night, but he just, he always, you know, with the exception of a couple plays in that Green Bay game where I thought he, he, he just made some flat out bad decisions that he got away with. He, he seems to make the right play. And that's just last night was a perfect example. He, he ends up, you know, that they, they have the the perfect game plan. Almost he, he hits the check downs. He, he always seems to throw to the right receiver and they just completely dismantle Kansas city, even though it doesn't look like they're doing much. The passes are traveling five and 10 yards that they don't have to go any further than that. If you know exactly where the ball's going. And he did play, he played horribly against green Bay. And that's one of the things that fooled me about this game is I, I, Kept on saying, okay, yeah, on paper, it looks like the Bucks have a better, deeper team, but they played horribly in Green Bay. Green Bay just handed them the game. Do I yep. really want to bet on that team? Yeah, no, that's true. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a baffling game. Did, did, okay, so 31 9, you know, by the time it was midway through the third quarter, end of third quarter, you're, you're kind of thinking, okay, the magic's not going to happen. This is just going to be one of those kind of flat Super Bowls where, where there's a clear winner. Did the two teams that get there and did the game itself, if we if we kind of spin it towards, you know, the, the local angle in Minnesota, did, did you learn anything about either of these teams or from this game that makes you think, man, the Vikings are further away, closer, uh, anything like that to actually getting to this game and winning it? 
I don't think we learned anything new. I think we had some things reminded of us. Number one, yes, as we said, you got to have a functional offensive line. Uh, yeah. You're not great players. Um, number two, game planning and coaching matters in every big game and it can change the tide. I, and I really, you know, I mentioned this in my column too, you know, Eddie was a great coach and his team looked unprepared. And you do wonder if his son uh, getting into a horrific accident involving alcohol and putting a child into, you know, giving a child brain damage, you yeah. wonder what that did to them as a team. And, and not, and I'm not equating these things in terms of importance. The child's life is far more important than anything that happened last night. But if we're going to talk about football, how you prepare, what your mindset is, these things matter. The Chiefs looked discombobulated all game. Uh, as far as quarterback, you know, it, it almost tells you the Vikings kind of, the Vikings had it kind of right in 2009. I mean, they get the great veteran quarterback. He joins a, a team that's ready to win, and they should have won the Super Bowl that year, and they missed it. And the Bucks did what the Vikings were trying to do in 2009. Yeah, and what, what you wrote about that, and I've, I've mentioned this before too, is, you know, the weird thing you think about with the Vikings and, you know, is that for as much as they've tried to find that franchise quarterback or get that stability in various ways, whether it's the draft, whether it's now signing Kirk Cousins a few years ago, their two very best seasons of the last, you know, 30 years came with, you know, the veteran at the end of the career, the the Randall Cunningham and, and the Brett Favre. And that's not a sustainable model necessarily, but there is the potential for more quarterback movement than, than you necessarily think. And I, you wrote about that for Sunday, just, it would be great if the NFL just completely opened, if there was more of an opportunity for that. Um, first of all, what, what do you think of this off season? Do you think there will be as much movement as is kind of being speculated about, or is this more kind of February fun, you know, chatter that's going on right now? Well, I really, you know, I think Sheffer said, a month ago, there'd be like 18 new quarterbacks in the league. And if you, if you look at some of the moves that have already been made and a lot of teams are going to draft uh, or, or promote somebody, maybe get to 18, but it just seems like a huge number to me. It seems like an unattainable number, but I didn't think Carson Wentz would get traded because of the ridiculous cap hit that he will incur. And the Eagles are going to trade him anyway. And I don't think that the Texans should trade Sean Watson He's a great young quarterback on an affordable contract. It's malpractice to trade him, but he might force them to trade him. And if those guys are going to move, then it just it, it just means that every team is going to act so desperately that anything's possible. Uh, and, and with of course we're talking about the Vikings here. The Vikings are the I think the exception. Uh, I think they are locked in the Cousins for one more year. I think they're locked into the Spielman, Zimmer, Cousins run this offense with Dalvin Cook, uh, you know, construct for at least one more year. And I think, I think any big decisions to be made will be made a year from now. Uh, but the Vikings, the Vikings might be the uh, exception. Yeah. I think that's interesting because you, you did, you had a, you had some on cousins in that Sunday column too. I'm going to read just a, a sentence said, it's possible that the Vikings might stick with cousins, even if they could trade him without being financially penalized, which is, you know, true. If they, if they trade him this year, it's a $20 million hit on this year's cap. That's just dead because of the signing bonus and all that stuff. Um, anybody they brought in that was high priced would, you know, would they just be crushed? Although I think Schefter did report this weekend, the cap looks like it's going to be a bigger number than they were anticipating, maybe 180, 181, something like that. They've been preparing for 175, 176, but still, if, if you were the, if you were you, not, not Rick Spielman, what do you, what would you do this off season? If there's kind of this hot market out there, 
where it seems like a lot of quarterbacks are changing hands. What, how tempted would you be to try to trade Kirk Cousins this offseason? Listen, I've not been a big – well, I've been every, all over the map on Cousins, depending on – All of us have. Time, time frame talking. Because I thought it was a good idea to bring him in, and he has played in generally pretty well. And after a horrific start of this year, he played pretty well the last 10 games, and he seems to fit in his offense. You know, there are good things you can say about Kirk Cousins. I just don't trust him to take you anywhere. Um, so would I like to see them move on from Kirk Cousins? Yes. Would I like to see them move on from Kirk Cousins, take the cap hit, and make a deal that's actually available to them to bring in another quarterback? I don't, just don't know what they can do. I really don't know what they can do without destroying their their ability to field a good team or make whatever moves they need to make to, to shore up you know their weaknesses uh, and i don't think it's the right time it, it's theoretically possible drafting where they're drafting they could get one of the good quarterbacks in this draft is that person they come in and with a team that is kind of built to take one last swing at this thing is that quarterback and elevate this franchise quickly enough that that person's a better option this year than Cousins. So even though I don't like saying it, I think the right plan is to give Cousins another shot with this group. And if you're going to blow things up, blow it up a year from now or two years from now. Yeah, and Zimmer said, kind of said as much a couple of days ago, even he was on the NFL Network, said Kirk's our guy. You know, we need to fix the defense. The offense wasn't the problem. And all those things are true. It's just a, it's such an interesting offseason of potential movement. Once teams start thinking about being able to upgrade a quarterback or make a change at quarterback, then 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 their mindset changes and they might think, wow, could we go get someone like that or would we want someone like that? But I think the biggest hurdle in anything like that is Zimmer and Spielman, you know, this is a win now year. They, they know that the, the leash is – not all that long anymore and that if that if things go poorly this year then then this could be the end for them and so is this is that the time to change the quarterback probably not you know if their internal evaluations and their best evaluators tell them that hey this quarterback who just fell to us in this draft could be the next Mahomes or could yeah. be the next Herbert something like that well that's reason to change your plans I just don't but I don't think you can count on that at this moment no, you can't, nor can you count on um, Tom Brady losing in the Super Bowl, as we found out, uh, as we found out uh, Sunday. I mean, that's the thing about Brady. You know, again, the, you can't argue with his greatness uh, and his accomplishments. I just find it to be very robotic, very uninteresting, yeah. no. um, and very hard to cheer for. And, you know, it's also <laughs> we have our most of the people in our country are hurting one way or another right now. And here you got this guy who's made half a billion dollars. <laughs> his wife, his wife has made more money than him. And he got a PPE loan for one of his stupid <laughs> meaningless businesses. How do you cheer for this guy? Oh, it's hard. It's hard. You got to watch his great from great, watch his greatness from a distance. Um, well, Jim, great stuff. I appreciate you joining the, uh, joining the podcast today and uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you again down the road. Okay. Great. Thanks Mike. Appreciate it. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Hit me with a hot one. So today's hot take comes from Matt Wells, Fasola Matt, on Twitter. His hot take, this was before the Super Bowl, Kansas City made it this far with a makeshift offensive line, so we can't excuse the Vikings for not making it this far. And Trader Rick, obviously Rick Spielman, is therefore off the hook 
for the failure of this season. Um, I wanted to use this, I'm not to embarrass him, because I th- more because I think the Super Bowl proved the opposite, right? That you can, you know, you can have a quarterback like Patrick McCombs who can just make magic um, out of nothing, out of out of poor protection, out of a makeshift offensive line like Kansas City had towards the end of the season when a lot of their guys were hurt. But once you face a legitimate pass rush or a really good team that's going to get after you and disrupt you with their game plan, you need at least a a functional offensive line. Like a, any quarterback needs at least that. You cannot succeed if you don't have at least a little bit of protection back there. So I, I guess what it shows is that the Vikings still have a long way to go on the offensive line. Right? I still don't think they are all the way to functional. I think they've gotten better. I think they've taken swings at improving it. I don't think it's, you know, I think Kirk Cousins is part of the problem when it comes to protection because even though he was pressured a lot this year, I think his dropback pressure rate was among the highest in the NFL this year, like 38%. Um, even even given all that, he, he, he doesn't do as much as he could to get the ball out quickly to help his offensive line. But you look at a guy like Tom Brady. Tom Brady was pressured on like 24% of his dropbacks this year. Um, so it, it does matter. You, you give a quarter, you give a quarterback, good quarterback, enough time, and he is going to make you pay. And you don't. The opposite happens. And you saw in the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes in his first 40 dropbacks was pressured 24 times. That's 60 percent. You cannot win that way. And I think the Vikings will not win consistently or at a Super Bowl contending level until they fix that offensive line. I uh, super excited to be joined right now by Tom Linneman for a segment I like to call "Played the Game." Tom, uh, former St. John's quarterback, I am not. Um, segment yeah, kind of is why, a, that's why when you say things, it's like, well, that's a nice little thought, or that's an adorable opinion. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's 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 it's, fun. it's interesting. It's like, oh, that's a nice comment, Mike. I like when we can make a podcast segment out of an inside joke that we've had for like 12 years where you say you never played the game. Um, yeah, because it, it's an absurd thing to say to somebody. It is. People understand the irony. Right. right. Uh, but you did play the game and you're here to help. I did and you didn't. So. That's true. I mean, it, it's it's a fact and it's a meme. You know what, though? Um, Mike, you're blessed in other ways. Like, you know, athletic prowess didn't come to you. Sure. I played baseball. I didn't play football. I didn't Look at me. I did not play football. People can't see me right now. I did not play football. I played yeah, baseball. I I, that that is a game I played. That's not they, in my they business. Can assume it. They can assume it. Yeah, that's not in my business. They can hear it. They can probably hear it. Anyway, Tom's here to help us break yeah. down... Um, one particular Bowl. aspect of the Super Bowl wasn't a particularly close game in the end, but there was, was a, a time. There was a whooping. Like, like there was a time. Half. It's uh, what? It's late first half. Chiefs have just kicked a field goal. It's fourteen to six, right? Fourteen to six. So it's not the end of the world. They're they're getting outplayed, but it's still fourteen six. Kansas City kicks off. Tampa Bay gets the ball. First and 10 at their own 29, 55 seconds left. 55 seconds, so less than a minute. So less than a minute. The, you're, at, you're at decision time. Yeah. Less than a minute left. You have to say, okay, am I going to get some yards here? Or I'm going to capitulate, punt, going to halftime with a lead. Right. Kansas City's got three timeouts, so they're thinking, okay, they stop, they stop Tampa Bay, no gain. I think it's a Leonard Fournette. It's like the one time they stop him all night. Second and 10. They call timeout. So they, the Kansas City calls timeout right there. And the city calls timeout. And so yeah. what that says. Yeah. What, so so here, right. so you're, you're quarterback. You're, you're, quarterback yeah. you're quarterback in the game, and you're thinking, okay, we're up 14-6. You guys have barely stopped us. What does it say to you when someone isn't just going to let you coast into halftime? 
Well, I mean, to me, it's almost like I'm appreciative. Okay, go ahead and take call time out because I noticed that I have a second down play and I know I'm going to throw the ball. So on a certain scenario, you're doing me a favor. On another scenario, it is a kind of a dig, right, where you think you're going to get the ball back. But I think what that does is that's just that little extra layer of, of going for, of, of making the throw to Godwin on the second down play that was one of two of the biggest plays of the game. Yeah, so they get eight yards to Godwin. That's not a not a huge game, but it's enough to make it third and two. Kansas City calls another timeout. They're still absolutely convinced that third and two is to their favor against Tom Brady. Uh, so now what's Tom Brady thinking? Well, now you have, you rely on, on the person you have forever. And here you throw the ball to Gronk and you make a play. All of a sudden, it becomes a bigger play. And now you're starting to touch midfield. So instead of now giving the ball back and having it say, months, you saved a bunch of time. Now you're in striking distance and maybe get a field before half, almost a free one. But those were the two biggest plays of the game. I felt like the game turned there, where everyone was waiting for Kansas City. But the second down throw to Godwin gets eight yards. Now it's third and two. Third and seven is very different than third and two. I think Absolutely. it was third and seven. I think Tampa's happy to run it and in, go into halftime. But the play to Godwin to make it third and two, to have another timeout, throw the ball to Gronk, you get a first down. And – now, all of a sudden, Tampa Bay is on the offense, and to, to go in and score another touchdown is backbreaking. Yeah, you get the right after that, you get the long pass interference call. Mike Evans gets tangled up with Breland. I don't know if that was a great call or not. It looked like, it te- looked like Evans kind of fell, but it gets called, right? You, you put yourself, that ball was uncatchable. Also, that ball was uncatchable. Yeah, but, but you put yourself, you put yourself in that situation, though, where Brady's going to take a shot downfield and yeah. he gets the call, and then it's then it's then they need another 24 already. Brady gets Fournette for 15 over the middle. They call their last timeout, 13 seconds left. All of a sudden, it's first and goal. That's they a big another... play, though, by Fournette, because everyone from Kansas City is playing sort of umbrella coverage, keep everything in front of you. And that took a run to Fournette, which is classic Brady. That's Brady dumping down. And instead of getting four or five yards, Fournette breaks it. And now, all of a sudden, you're in the goal line situation. And they get it into Antonio Brown. 21 to 6 at halftime instead of 14 to 6. Now, do you, if you're the, you know, I can see the logic on the Chiefs part, right? They, they've just made it 14 6. They're thinking, we get the ball to start the second half. Can we get a two for one if we stop them? Can we get Mahomes cooking? Well, I actually get- agree with everything the Chiefs did. I actually strategically agree with both timeouts. In fact, even the third and two, because in my head, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to run the football. Right. So, but that that's just Arians out doing. That's just that that's a confidence play. That's what Reed's done all these playoffs, right? Remember when he went for it on a fourth down? Arians died, who's another quarterback, just like Andy Reed, dialing up that throw to Gronk. I think is it's it's a major play. It's a pivot point in the game. But I don't I don't blame Kansas City for calling either timeout. In that point, like they wanted to score again before half to turn the game around. Yeah, that's a good point. They're trying to get momentum. They're thinking, okay, we got a little something going here. They're thinking Tampa Bay is going to be happy enough to be up. Why not try to steal a field goal and yeah. ends up biting them? And ends up, it kind of was actually a little bit, you know, the way it played out wasn't exactly the same, but it was a little bit reminiscent of the end of the first half in the Green Bay Tampa Bay NFC title game where you're thinking momentum's going one way, Green Bay gets the ball back, but then they get a pick, and then Brady houses them over the top and they get a touchdown when you're thinking field goal at the most. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, this got lopsided fast. There was a play, though, and, and here's the difference. That touchdown, the Tyron Matthew uh, play, right? Yes. Yeah. Right, where it's uh, 
it's questionable. And I think right now, if you look at Tom Brady and who he is and the zeitgeist, and you look at what is probably uh, the far end of reasonable pass interference calls. Yeah. Right. And you yeah. look at Tyler Matthew, who's argue, like one of the best defensive players in the league. Yeah, like, for sure. Defensive player of the year last couple of years. In fact, RG3 still has his Heisman in his house. I think he should give that to Tyron Matthew. Like he deserves <laughs> it. But for real, like that, and you saw Matthew talk to him and said, you got one for free. So I think that's an yeah. interesting moment yeah. that allowed them, them, the Bucks to go and score a touchdown. But really, those two plays, yeah. they made plays. I agree with the Chiefs' strategy, yeah. but Brady made plays. One more thing, and then we're going to go. Um, there's, they had a stat up there that said Mahomes, in his first 40 dropbacks, had been hurried or pressured in some way 24 of those times. That's 60%. So they were on him all game. Just describe to me, it should be intuitive. I'm sure most people can instinctively think about this, but like when you are under duress all game as a quarterback, what is that like? Well, I mean, what it does is it speeds up your clock. Like that's the issue is you're ready to flush the pocket immediately. And Mahomes was all night. Like if you, that, that's really the story of the game is the Chiefs could not protect Mahomes and the Bucks could run the football. The Bucks did a great job of sustaining drives, mixing in Fournette and Jones, but really the Chiefs couldn't protect. And when, when that happens as a quarterback, now all of a sudden you're running backwards and that the throws are that much longer. It takes that much longer to get downfield where you can have a safety close in. And the fact is Kansas City dropped several pivotal passes, like three or four key third down. Kelsey, too. You know what I mean? Like, And so Mahomes wasn't getting any help. He's running for his life. The, he made a couple of plays that would have been all-time plays. You would have seen them. Uh, the one where he's like falling down on fourth down yeah. and hits the dude in the helmet. Like, that was amazing. The dude can't right even help the, him out. Right in the helmet. It just – it felt like Kansas City was playing tight all night. Like it felt like the whole time, everyone was waiting for them. But I mean, if you're Matt Mahomes, like he made the throws, like he yeah. he didn't play poorly. Yeah, it's just that they couldn't protect. Him. No, we knew that was a storyline coming in. Like their offensive line is banged up, both their tackles are hurt. Tampa Bay has a really good front, really good front seven. But I just didn't think that. I thought Mahomes would just you and see Dominic him make. Two was a menace, by the way. What? Soon was great. Yeah, it seems like people talk about the Vikings, like why they have so much trouble. It's because if you have somebody up front, that's what missing Pierce was so tough this year. You you look at Linval Joseph, what he did. Dominican Sue was a difference maker. Now, yeah, he doesn't problem that stat sheet as much, but just holding that line of scrimmage, allowing all the, I mean, the twists that the Bucks were coming on. Every Mahomes was it. He was going backwards. I'll get. He actually yeah. looked like detectable. Where you just run backwards. <laughs> he did. That's a good. Yeah. You run backwards and just throw it as far as you can. Like, like he felt like we <laughs> were watching Super Tech Mobile unfortunately. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. It was. Just, I don't know if it's just if it's as simple as the offensive line. If it's some of the pressure of trying to repeat. It's just. It's hard to. It's probably hard to to win two in a row. Trying to mitigate it. Honestly, like that. People talk about adjustment. I love when people are like, oh, we're making adjustments. What does that mean? Well, Kansas City's getting a bunch of pressure, right? So they just try to run some screens. That's a great way to alleviate pressure. If somebody's going to come after you, it's like, go ahead, come up. And they had a couple drop screens, you know? And so, like, the Chiefs didn't do themselves any favors. And, frankly, the Bucks played the screens pretty well, too. Yeah. So, yeah. the Bucks the adjustments you make is if you can't protect, then you have to find a way to, you know, drop some draws or do some screens or something. But it everything took so long to develop. 
Yeah. And also, once you have that, you know, you just want to get rid of the ball a little bit sooner. There'll be four guys around looking for high. You know, what? all of a sudden you're behind that eight ball. But I really believe that touchdown at the end of the first half was a, a big mental uh, barrier from being 14 to 6 to 21 to 6. It's a huge difference from that. 100%. That's why you played the game. Tom Lineman, awesome stuff. Thanks for joining me today on the Daily Delivery Podcast. All guests on the Daily Delivery Podcast, enjoy an <clears throat> invitation to join me for Taco Tuesday when all this pandemic nonsense is over. Yeah, but I, I still have to pay, don't I? No, you don't have to pay this time. <laughs> I've never not paid. I'm That's really not true. That. It's maybe true. All right. Thanks, Tom. All right. See you. Let's end it with the cooler. You didn't think I'd get out of here talking only about the NFL or that I could avoid the Timberwolves even for a day. Wolves play at San Antonio tonight, 730 Here's something I want you to watch if you haven't been watching this uh, already this year. Seems like the Wolves' young players are becoming the real heartbeat of this team. And that's not just number one overall pick, Anthony Edwards. It's fellow rookie Jaden McDaniels, who's really come on lately. It's second-round pick from 2019, Jalen Noel. Um, you know, it's Naz Reed, uh, Jordan McLaughlin, undrafted guys. These guys have been playing at a much higher level lately. And I dare say that bodes well for the future, that they are becoming such a, an integral piece of this year's team. Worries me a little bit in the present, though, because I find myself at times kind of yearning for two rookies, a second-round pick, and two undrafted guys on the court instead of the likes of D'Angelo Russell, uh, instead of the likes of Ricky Rubio, instead of the likes of Ed Davis, instead of the likes of Josh Okogie, guys that have years of experience on them, and then in a lot of cases are making a lot more money than they are. So, you know, 6-17, and 17, not a lot has gone right for the Wolves. A lot of that is the injury and illness to Carl Anthony Towns, and we'll see when he comes back. Second unit, or these, these reserves, these young reserves, are becoming kind of the pulse of the team, and I'd say that bodes well for the future and not so much for the present. That'll do it for today's show. Join me tomorrow when I expect to be uh, talking to Rachel Blount, um, Star Tribune staff writer, about St. Thomas and their transition to Division One. And join me in about a year for a uh, talk about the Super Bowl again. Who knows, maybe this will be the time a year from now when we're talking about the Vikings winning their very first Super Bowl. Read us on Star Tribune, startribune.com. Thanks for joining me on Strip Sports Daily Delivery. Mm-hmm.